broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Midtown Business Radio. Hey, what's up, everyone? It is CW. Thank you for checking out the Midtown Business Radio Show. We had some great business leaders in the studio with us this week. I was pleased to host President and CEO of Gas South, Kevin Greiner, along with Vice President of Human Resources and External Affairs, Meredith Hodges, talking about the fact that Gas South was recently recognized as a top employer in the region. We got to learn a little bit more about the culture and some of the reasons why Gas South is being recognized as a top employer, along with why the company is the go-to brand for natural gas services for both residential and commercial in both Florida and Georgia. Human resources expert Peter Yunt from HR Value Partners also sat in with us and shared some important information for the small to mid-sized business and why it is so important for these businesses to have a true human resources expert who is very familiar with the variety of state federal and local laws around employees to ensure that your business is not exposed to legal risk from litigation by disgruntled employees, as well as financial and other penalties from government agencies for non-compliance with regulations. He also talked about the company's innovative approach to executive search for the C-suite professionals in your business that can not only help you get those high value key decision makers in your business, but also saving you a lot of money along the way as you invest in that type of service to acquire that talent. I also hosted the incoming membership chair for the Atlanta chapter of Young Presidents Organization. Alan Young stopped by to talk about the organization and how it benefits the business executive and entrepreneur who have demonstrated a high level of expertise and business acumen at an early age and how the organization provides these business leaders and entrepreneurs with a great channel through which they can build their professional networks, as well as having access to outstanding educational offerings for both the entrepreneur and business leader, as well as their families from widely acclaimed, highly successful subject matter experts and other mentors. Young President's organization also provides these business leaders and entrepreneurs with a confidential channel through which they can discuss and learn how to tackle challenges and other important issues relevant to their business from other experienced executives, entrepreneurs, and mentors. So if you're a business owner or executive, you're going to want to stick around for today's show because I guarantee there's going to be some information in here that's going to help you and your business. Check it out. Good morning, everyone. It is C.W. Hall, your host here on the Midtown Business Radio Show. Pleased to have everybody with us today. We've got a great show in store for you. With us in the studio from Gas South, we have the president and CEO, Kevin Greiner, and Meredith Hodges. She's the VP of External Affairs and HR with Gas South. They've got some great news that we'll be talking about. We're very excited. Yeah, I'm really pleased to have you all here. And we've got Peter Yunt. Pretty good. Yeah, Peter Yunt. And uh, he's from HR Value Partners. And I met Peter at the North Fulton Chamber of Commerce. Yeah, the business, business expo, expo right. that they had up there. Got to meet you and some of your colleagues there at that event and learned a little bit about your company. I thought it might be something great to talk about here on our show so that more in the business community could find out about you. And not too long ago, I had somebody that was, uh, I believe, a member of YPO on my show, Sabate Palachi. Yep. And uh, we were talking about the Young Presidents organization, and I thought the same thing. It might be a great organization for people to know about. Many of the uh, entrepreneurs and business leaders that I've had on the show here over time have been 
surprisingly young and surprisingly successful for their age. And I know that that is a point of focus for the organization and and gives them opportunities to grow and advance over time. So Alan Young, uh, incoming membership officer with Young President's organization here in the Atlanta area, as with us in studio, we'll be talking a little bit more about that. So thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. And so Kevin and Meredith, let's start with you. We're Let's get the news out there right now. What's going on with uh, Gas South? Because uh, you were recently given a nice, nice prestigious award. Yeah, we applied this year for the first time for the AJC Best Places to Work survey. And uh, it's a, a survey that goes out to all your employees. And basically, they provide feedback on how you're doing as an organization in terms of uh, leadership, business strategy, communications, um, um, the the overall work environment. And we were pleased to get one of the awards this year. So it was a great uh, first foray for us. One of our goals uh, for our Vision 2020 is to be a number one place to work. And uh, this was uh, putting us on the path towards that. So we we're really pleased. But most importantly, it also gave us some great feedback in terms of the things that we're both doing well as an organization and those things where we have some opportunities. So while the recognition is great, even better is the uh, feedback that you get. And where does that feedback come from? Employees, you're, they're, how, does it, how does it float up to you to, to get that feedback in? Well, what happens is an employee will actually nominate a company. So in our case, an employee, I don't know who it was, nominated Gas South to participate. Then we conducted the survey uh, through um, Workplace Dynamics. Then they provide us back charts and graphs and all the comments that uh, employees had on all these different issues. And so we uh, then work, what we have done is work through all those comments and tried to figure out how to address the issues that need to be addressed and celebrate the things that we do well. It's got to be kind of challenging, I guess, when you start hearing some point, I'm sure some of the feedback is pointed if it's not necessarily, oh, it's awesome. But I mean, I, I, what a great opportunity to start getting people to really, you know, one, celebrate some of the things you're doing well so you can continue to build on those. But it's a great opportunity when someone will actually share with you if there's a point that maybe they wish was a little different. I'm sure that that empowers you much as a leadership team. Well, you can't do anything about it if you don't right. know what the problem is. Yeah, so this is away. a great opportunity. And we actually do another survey uh, officially once a year. And so now we've adopted two. Um, so one about every six months to get a get a pulse on where employees are coming from. So it's helpful to know what the feedback is. It can be painful, but if we know what the problems are, then we can figure out how we want to address them. So it may be that we need to harmonize some policies that we have. It may be that we need to provide more communication. It may be that we're not doing anything wrong, but employees just don't know what we are doing in a certain area. So it gives you an opportunity to kind of step back and figure out what you need to look at and how you need to communicate better. And what I was happy to see from the survey was just how engaged our employees are. And that's really important in terms of being the best places to work, seeing that they felt like they knew what was going on at the company. We've always pursued a philosophy of open book management, sharing all the results of the company, the good, the bad, and the ugly, so to speak, about you know how the company's performing, what are our challenges, what are our opportunities, where are we excelling? And uh, employees uh, resoundingly said, we were doing a really good job with those sorts of things. Um, there's always some you know things that you also find about you know, what could we communicate a little bit better? There's always some good suggestions on um, uh, pay and benefits. You know, everybody, <laughs> it's, it's funny that everybody feels like they should get paid more and should have better benefits. But, uh, <laughs> you know, that's, uh, but that actually is really good information that does come in, gives you a good sense of the things that you could do to enhance the overall workplace environment as well. So 
I saw a lot of really good things in terms of the things that are really hard to do, communications, people feeling engaged, people feeling like they had a real stake in the success of the company. And then the things that uh, we had some gaps in, I felt were things that we could close relatively quickly. And I think that's one of the reasons that we you know, got recognized was because on the important stuff, we're doing it pretty well. In fact, so much so that when they did the, uh, the event, one of the things they said the most the most important thing that a company needed to have in order to be considered a great place to work is, quote, I believe this company's going in the right direction. And they actually quoted someone from Gas South, one of the comments, and the employee said, I'm excited about our achieving our vision for 2020. Knowing leadership can get everyone on board to move in the right direction, motivated me to be part of making it happen. So really proud of that piece. Speaking with Kevin Griner, President and CEO of Gas South, and, and his colleague Meredith Hayes, uh, Vice President of External Affairs and Human Resources, and learning about their nomination uh, for uh, number one place to work, our top place to work here in the area. And talk about I mean, how the scale of the company, because we're not talking about just a few people here. It's, it's, a, it's a large presence in one of the larger companies in the area. Yeah, we have about 200 employees and uh, we serve about 300,000 uh, natural gas customers in Georgia and Florida. We've grown a lot over the years. We just celebrated our 10-year anniversary, which was a great milestone for us. Um, when we first started in 2006, we had about 50 folks. We had about 160,000 customers. So we roughly doubled the mm -hmm. customer base roughly quadrupled the number of employees that we have and um, are in a couple of different markets now, as opposed to just in Georgia, we're also serving customers in Florida. So it's been a nice journey for us, you know, great uh, track record of, um, of growth. We have a great team. We've really built a, a, a high performing team. That's a big part of our, our um, um, success really is that the people that we have, you know, we're not a business that has a lot of assets. We don't have plants or factories or differentiated products that, uh, you know, we can kind of hang our hat on. We instead need to really, you know, compete on the basis of um, great rates, great customer service and uh, great channel partners. And so that's really what we're focused on. And then obviously employees are the folks that make all of that happen without great employees. We can't make all those things successful. And you were talking about, uh, you know, someone may have given feedback of oh, more. I would love to make, you know, more as a salary or greater benefits and things like that. But when you're in a place like this where your employees are nominating their company as a top employer in the in the community, those things tend to fall away as, as not necessarily number one in terms of how much I make per hour. I'm sure you're very competitive with regards to the, the, the space you're in. Mm -hmm. um, so those things, I think, end up becoming, I think, a little bit less important when you start and talk about attracting and retaining people. I agree. And as we think about attracting and retaining people, I think that we've done several things in the last few years that have made a significant difference. One of those is we insourced our customer care center. So that's something that's typically not happening in the business world. Everybody else is sending it away. When we started our company, we went through a third party and we decided that was not what was in the best interest of our business. It was harder to have a firsthand knowledge of what was going on with the customer if, if you couldn't if you didn't have the employees sitting right there and, and communicating directly back to you what was going on. So we 
insourced that in um, 2012. And so that increased our business size uh, by 100 people. And so now that group uh, in our customer care organization is a vital part of what yeah, we do. It really is important. It is very important. And, and we get great feedback every day and we can respond to it quickly. And it seems like customers are having an issue with this. So we can go and fix this relatively quickly now. So it's helped on the customer service side. It's also helped on the employee side. And then we are very involved in the communities that we serve. So we have an ambassador program where all employees across the company can go to events that we have in the communities that we might sponsor. We were at the Ackworth Arts Festival this last weekend. Um, We also have a gas health cares program where employees can volunteer and that provides a great opportunity you can go volunteer at the junior achievement center you can work on hands-on atlanta day you can go down to ag roads where we had a program on uh, martin luther king day and and volunteer and work with seniors so there's all kinds of opportunities that we try to provide employees to make it a great place to work but also get out in the community and and make a difference of where we work and play i think that's one of those types of things that really begins to make employees take some ownership in their company. They feel as though it's empowering them to do something constructive in the community. And I think that because it's coming from the company in terms of, we would love for you to do this. We want to make it possible for you to do this. I think that that's just yet another one of those intangible things that make people really feel like, yeah, I'm, I'm working for an organization that's working for where I live, not just you know trying to make a, a dollar here in the community. It seems to really resonate well with the millennials too. Yeah. Yeah, so. I think p- people want to feel like they're working for an organization with purpose, you know, and that purpose can be defined as, you know, you can have a, a social purpose, a community purpose. I think we try to blend those things together and also have a purpose for, you know, let's not forget the purpose of actually making money and earning a, you know, good return for our shareholder and for our employees. You know, we have a bonus plan that uh, um, applies to all of our employees and it's based on the performance of the company and the performance of the individual. And everybody in the organization has an opportunity to participate in that program. So we feel like that also, you know, keeps us focused on, you know, the objective of actually, you know, earning a, you know, good profit and uh, being able to continue to grow our top line, grow our bottom line, while at the same time doing the important things between the lines in terms of becoming a great place to work, uh, be um, providing a number one customer experience and giving back to the community. What's the competitive landscape look like here for companies that are in your space? So we um, uh, compete with about 13 other natural okay. gas marketers in Georgia and about the same number in Florida, actually. Um, Florida is an exclusively B2B uh, market, so we only sell to commercial customers. Here in Georgia, natural gas is deregulated down to the household level, so everybody chooses a natural gas provider and doesn't receive service from their utility. Uh, it's a very competitive market. You know, it's uh, we, we, we uh, are one of the uh, largest of the three, that the, one of the three largest marketers here, uh, natural gas marketers in town. And, uh, but uh, it's, it's, it's a tough market. You know, we're all competing on providing great rates, trying to provide great customer service, trying to have that community outreach component as well. And then um, creating really strong sales and marketing partnerships that help to introduce us to customers when they're making a decision on a natural gas provider, which is of course, you know, a real utility service, but unique to Georgia in some ways, a truly competitive market. I wasn't aware that there was that much in terms of the different companies that were out there providing the space. So as you say, I can only imagine how uh, tough it is in terms of competition. And and here you are kind of standing atop the, the competition. What would you say culturally about Gas South really makes you 
one of those places from your approach to customer service to your internal customers as well, your employees? Well, I think that as Meredith mentioned, um, one of the things is certainly providing our own customer service, having employees serve as the ears and the voice of the customer is unusual in our market. Most other companies do outsource that or provide it through uh, employees that may live someplace else. Um, they're an out-of-state company. And so our local presence, you know, supported by local employees, I think is one of the things that's, um, that's really important as well. I think we also focus on challenging the status quo. So for us, we're a small company and there's not a lot of bureaucracy that goes on. So we, I say that we're a very analytical company, but we're also very collaborative. So we work together across departments to come up with analyses on how we want to introduce a new product or fix something so that on the operational side, so it makes for a better customer experience. And we're always looking on how to do things better. And we'll try something. If it doesn't work, then okay, we'll we'll figure out what didn't work and we'll try something else. And so we're always moving and we're always trying to get better. And I think that that also fosters some enthusiasm in, in employees because you're not resting on your laurels. We're always trying to get you to be creative and innovative and do something better. I think that that helps us as a business um, and as well as helps create a culture of, that we want to have. Looking at your goals for Vision 2020, talk a little bit about what you're trying to achieve there and where that will take you from where you are today. Sure. So this year we, uh, we set a vision for 2020. It was a great time to do it because we had our 10 year anniversary and we said, okay, it's great to look back, talk about all the great things that happened over the last 10 years, but let's look forward as well and see what type of company we want to be in 2020. And so we set five key goals for ourselves. Uh, one is kind of a top line growth, which is to be the number one gas provider in the Southeast. There's also a bottom line growth, I would say, that is about how much uh, cumulative net income that we want to earn, which ultimately accrue to the benefits of um, our shareholder and our employees in terms of that bonus program that I talked about. And then we have three, what I'll call between the lines grow, um, uh, goals, which are really about, well, how do you go about doing it? And uh, we want to be able to offer a number one customer experience so that uh, when customers interact with us, whether it be by phone, whether it be online through their mobile device, um, that they really have a terrific experience with us and that we surprise and delight them with the things that we bring to the table, whether that be different perks of being a Gas South customer, uh, free tickets to ball games, um, other types of things that you can take your family out, you know, things that people may not actually expect from their natural gas provider. We want to offer those types of customer experiences also. Uh, we also want to be that number one place to work because we do believe that we've got to have a great workforce to be able to offer great customer service and to be able to hit these growth goals. And then finally, we set a goal of our, for ourselves to provide a million dollars of annual community support each year, which would be roughly uh, 5% of our net income. So um, pretty aggressive goal in terms of plowing back into the community um, dollars and, and time, volunteer time that uh, help to make a difference uh, in some of the key areas that uh, we set for ourselves, things like education, um, human services and the arts being our three main thrusts as far as community support go. That's awesome though. I mean, I don't think there's a whole lot of companies out there throwing seven figures into the community and particularly that high level of their annual revenues to support the community. So that's really great. We're very proud of that. I would imagine so. What would that mean for your workforce in terms of its size? Well, how many jobs do you think that would add if you achieve these goals? Well, I think actually we're, we're pretty 
good with where we are now from an okay. employee standpoint. We've grown a ton over the last several years. And Meredith mentioned some of that was business transformation. It was insourcing customer care. And that caused us to make a major shift in the number of employees that we have. Uh, at this point, we feel like we've got the team that we need. And we'll obviously plug in some gaps and we'll have people, you know, leave over time. We'll replace different folks. You know, we'll have different positions that we create. But we feel that, um, you know, where we are now, a little over 200 employees is probably the right place. And ultimately, we want to do more with the team that we have as opposed to continuing to try to, you know, grow the workforce. So we think that with some of the transformation initiatives we have, we're doing some really interesting things with technology to try to improve the customer experience. And over time, we expect that'll allow us to keep our employee base about where it is while still being able to grow that's great. our overall business. Yeah, from an efficiency standpoint and profitability, that's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And that could change, of course. You know, you go into new markets, you go into different areas, and uh, that could, you know, change pretty dramatically. But with the business that we have today and where we're headed and with some of these goals, we feel like, uh, you know, we'll see some increase employees, but not like we've experienced over the last several years. You talked about commercial clients. Uh, are there any elements about doing business with Gas South? If I'm a business that I should know that maybe I not be familiar with that would make me think, wow, this should be the solution for me. Well, I think in our market, um, a lot of times people don't actually realize that they have a choice of natural gas providers. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're opening up a business, for example, in Georgia for the first time, this notion that I actually have to choose my natural gas provider is strange, right? You know, in other markets, whether it be, you know, Illinois or New York or other places or North Carolina, you know, you call the utility company and that's who sets up service. And right. you basically pay the bill of whatever it happens to be every month. Uh, here you have the advantage of being able to lock in a specific rate for any reasonable amount of time that you might want to lock that in as a business owner. So we think that provides some real advantages. So you can get much more um, price and cost certainty for your business, whether you're a restaurant or a large manufacturer. I think that uh, it definitely pays to look around. And obviously the rate is an important component of that, but also the customer service piece and how are you going to be treated as a customer and what does the um, contracting process look like and how flexible is the company, how easy are they to do business with. And we try to be very attractive on all of those metrics as well. So offering competitive rates, but also being flexible, being good communicators with our customers about their rates and their options and what they might want to uh, do to manage their energy costs more effectively and ultimately help them to manage the overall natural gas spend. And that's what we see as our role. You know, so it's consultative in nature while also being a supplier. And I would imagine that option of being able to lock a rate in is, is pretty significant for a business that's trying to plan its, its coming year with their expenses and budgets and things like that. Being able to know, make that more of a fixed cost has got to be a, an advantage for many of them. I think that does help. It helps for certain on the residential side. Mm -hmm. Fixed prices are, are much lower for residential uh, customers. But I would say also to echo what Kevin was saying on the commercial side, we provide great account management. So it's not just you sign up with us and then you're done. You're going to hear from us and we'll help you figure out problems as you move along. Uh, if you have some, we'll provide you guidance in terms of how you might want to amend your contract or, or make some different decisions around how you're using natural gas so that you can get the most out of what you're paying for. So 
we don't want to let you go just after we sign the contract. You're going to hear from us along the way because we feel like that's part of providing great customer service. Well, tell folks where they can go to get more information about Gas South and all the different things you're doing. Well, we'd love for you to visit our website at gassouth.com. It's probably the easiest way to sign up. We also have an 800 number. one 762 is the 800 See how number. quick it comes in? I love yeah. that. <laughs> but you'll find it all at gassouth.com. Yeah. Congratulations on uh, being uh, recognized as a top employer. Thank you so much. Very cool. Uh, And it's nice to have you all here talking about the company and introducing folks to a little bit more about the inner workings and the culture of the business. So I'm really pleased to have you here to tell you a little bit about that. Thanks for the opportunity. And so, Peter, let's let's talk a little bit about HR Value Partners. As I mentioned, I met you all at the uh, expo recently up in Alpharetta and learned about the concept that you're doing. And um, yeah, did you did you spin the wheel while you were there? I we, did, and I didn't win we, we anything. Had a lot of fun. I, I, I really debated oh, having you all come down after that. <laughs> I thought no. On second, <laughs> I thought, should have slipped you some of the yeah, uh, see, some have, of the Captain Morgan under the. You'd under have the thought table that there, I might have won a gift ba- basket, but I did not. <laughs> I went away empty-handed and dejected. But, but it was fun, right? I had a, it was exciting. I had hope for just a moment. <laughs> it did the wheel of fortune thing where it went tick 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 right to the one next to the prize. Yeah, so. well. You know, we'll we'll do it again. So you just have to have to give it another shot. You know. So when we talk about outsource human resources, what are we talking about here? Well, a lot of companies uh, are too small to be able to to have an in an in house HR uh, department. Um, th- there's really no justification for it. You know, if you're a if you're a company of you know fifty or a hundred or twenty or two. Um, it, it, the, the the cost of carrying a full-time HR professional is is pretty prohibitive, right? So unfortunately, it falls on the uh, the shoulders of the finance guy, right, or the the executive assistant. Um, they don't have the training for it. They don't have the time for it, and uh, it 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 just leads to all kinds of problems. There's there's you know Meredith can certainly uh, uh, attest to this. There's something like fifty laws. Uh, between the state and the feds that relate to employment and employees. Um, one of the one of the big things that we do for organizations are uh, we'll come in and do a compliance uh, audit for a company to see how well they're tracking with those laws. Um, they almost never are. I, I can't think off the top of my head of uh, of a compliance audit that we've done where the company was in full alignment with those laws. And sometimes, you know, it's you know, a red alarm, you know, flashing red lights, you know, somebody called the fire department to put out the flames kind of thing. And sometimes it's just best practices where, where they need to get some improvement and they can, they can help their, their firms. And so that's where we come in. You know, we, we can come in and we can be that HR department for a small organization. We can come in and be uh, on a retainer where you contact us, by phone or by email, and we are there to answer questions and help you through issues. We're there uh, a couple of days a month if you want that. We're there with a full-time employee, so we can we can handle those HR issues for you. Be your HR department if you like. We also do a lot of of project work, right? Uh, employee handbooks are are a big thing that we'll do. I mentioned uh, the compliance audits. Uh, Meredith, Where were you in my life? Uh, well, here I am. <laughs> here I am. You know, actually, Meredith was talking about the the uh, surveys that they're doing within the organization. We do that a lot. You know, companies want to have, and it, it's often 
you want to have somebody come in from the outside to have that arm's length reach to do those kinds of surveys. So we'll come in and we'll help a company do a survey and evaluate what that survey means. Sometimes implement the, the, the findings we, we get in the survey. Sometimes it's just a matter of turning the, the results over to the organizations. But we, we, we do project work that allows the, the internal HR folks to concentrate on what their day-to-day needs are. And they don't have to lose focus on on the important stuff. Um, and then we can help them out with, with those kinds of things. I would imagine that coming in as that third-party entity that's engaging with the employees to try to determine where they stand, you know, these internal surveys and things like that, it would seem like having somebody that's in a third-party kind of relationship might be able to get a little bit more information than perhaps if they were engaging and just it was all purely internal. Yeah, it feels a little safer. Right. Because, you know, you're, you're not talking to, you know, I'm not talking to, to Kevin, the president of the organization. I'm, I'm talking to some, you know, anonymous uh, third party organization that is, it, it doesn't have a vested interest in the words or, or the responses that I'm giving. So they're, they're a lot more comfortable in terms of being honest and, 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 and forthcoming. It's a lot more comfortable. I guess is the word I would use when you're when you're doing that. People are responsive and and uh, they're willing to talk with you. I've certainly found that to be the case. People are much more comfortable if it's somebody who is a third party and they don't feel like, oh man, somebody in management's going to read my answers because then they're not going to answer the survey and you yes. want the data. So right. you really want a third party right. to do that. So it's a great service. Because they're typically anonymous, right? But when you do it internally, the, the back of the mind thought is, is this really anonymous? I mean, come on. Yes. And they are, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that, that the companies aren't doing it that way, but there's always that sneaking suspicion. So you get somebody come in at arm's length and, and it can really free things up and free the conversations up. You were talking earlier about the reason why it's important to have somebody who knows what they're doing in the human resources function. Sure. But for that small business, particularly for the very small business, the ones, twos, tens, and 20 employees, Mm -hmm. just a handful of employees, you talked about the fact that it ends up being often an administrative assistant or my aunt or, you know, somebody that that just is kind of shouldered with here. I think a lot of times folks in business, those small business owners think it's more or less just some paperwork. It's filing uh, applications and W-2s and things like that. But as you talked about, there's a number of laws, both federal and state, that come into play that can really significantly impact you. Talk about some of the exposure that you have if you're not doing those things correctly. Well, you'd be surprised how large some of the organizations are that don't have an HR function, right? A lot of the the small organizations that we deal with are, are entrepreneurs, right? A guy with an idea. And he, he starts out, and at first it's him, and then he starts adding a, a few people on. And, and before he knows it, he's got a 150, 200 people working for him, and his aunt is, is running HR. He doesn't want to have anything to do with it, right? Because it's, he's the vision. He's the, 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 the guy with the ideas. Um, and, and it can get you into trouble. You know, one of the examples I like to use is, okay, so we, we've got a, an entrepreneur Let's say it's it's some kind of a creative organization, and um, they're growing, and their needs are changing, and the workflow needs to change because of how their processes are going. So he says, "All right, everybody, come into the conference room on on, on Friday, and we're going to sit down and we're going to hash out 
what we need to do to make these changes. And, and so they, everybody sits down, everybody comes with, with their ideas. They got a big whiteboard on the wall and they're, everybody's writing down the ideas. What do we need to change? How do we need to improve this process? What different things do we want to put in place? So everybody write, writes down their, their ideas. And then uh, later in the day, they say, okay, what of all these ideas, because they're all wonderful, but we can't use them all. Which one of these things are actually going to work? So then they start lining out the things that aren't necessarily the, the things that are going to happen. And they come up with a list of, say, 10 or 15 different processes that they're going to put in place, different procedures that they're going to use. Um, and, and they say, OK, at the end of the day, the entrepreneur says, OK, at the end of the day, this is how we're going to we're going to move forward. From, from now on, this is how our company is going to function, and we're going to, we're going to operate in this manner. You've just violated federal, federal labor law in that. You wouldn't think you would, but you did, right? Because you, you've created an employer-dominated union in that. And so it happens all the time, right? And normally, most of the time, it happens without a problem. Until you get that one disgruntled employee who comes in and says, you know, I don't like and it could be who knows how, how you know, far in the future. But I don't like the way things are happening now. Picks up the phone, calls, you know, the, uh, the, the, the feds. And the next thing you know, you've got investigation going on for creating an employer-led union. And now you're, now you're behind the eight ball. It's the kind of thing that an entrepreneur would think is just the most natural thing in the world. And it's paradoxically... Thinking that they're running a democratic type right. business. Right. Or, or just, you know, one where, you know, Meredith was talking about the collaborative aspect of what they do. That's really important. You know, you, you mentioned the millennials and how they want to feel engaged. Totally important. Right. It's, it's in, in many cases more important than, than monetary compensation. Monetary compensation is often far less important than, uh, than you might think. Right. But that sense of engagement, that sense of being part of a team, that solving a problem, going forth and conquering the world, you know, helping our community and, and doing all these wonderful things, having a, a vision for where we're going as a company. All those things are really, really important. And so those kinds of folks want to be involved in that kind of a collaborative discussion as well. And, and so it just seems the most natural thing in the world to do. But you've got to be really, really careful about it that you don't cross you don't cross lines. You are fine in that hypothetical situation I put forth. You are fine sitting down and coming up with all the different ideas. Where you crossed the line was where you started crossing off things and saying, okay, we're going to do this. We're not going to do that. That became the quote unquote negotiation. And that's where you cross the line. So you just got to be careful about where you do that. Aunt Betty isn't going to know where those lines are. And so that's why it's really, really important. So can you talk a little bit more about those lines and get in more detail because that's fascinating because I think everybody does that all the time. But where do you cross the line on what subjects? Well, I mean, there's a myriad of subjects. Um, I mean, in in the case that we're talking about, when you're when you're you can you can collaborate to get ideas, right? To get everybody's input on on where you want to go. And and sorry, I'm coming off mic here. Where you want to go and what you want to do. The problem is when you start isolating what those things are. Okay, this is a really great idea, but this is not a good idea. And this is going to apply and that's not going to apply. And so it, it almost becomes, well, in the mind of the law, it becomes a labor negotiation, right? And so here you are, you're the entrepreneur, it's your company, you're in, you're in front of all these folks. 
and you are in effect negotiating with them and they have no quote unquote representative. And that's where it becomes this, this, this issue. Specifically on HR issues, though. No, on anything. anything. On work function, on process, on you know product, on 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 anything. When you're making those decisions on how we're going to operate as a company, and you're doing it collaboratively, like so, that. if we got the whole group in there and we're we're going through it. But there, I think there also, I think what Peter's saying too is that you don't know what you don't know, right? And in the area of HR, that's dangerous. And so I think outside of what we've been talking about, there are lots of laws that his company could help you with interpreting like, who do you pay an hourly wage to and who do you pay a salary oh, yeah, wage that, to? That is, that is a huge one. 1099 employees, your contract employees. Oh, sure. oh, they're not my employee. They're a contract employee. Well, do you control them? Do you tell them how they have to operate? Do you tell them what hours they have to work, what they do, what the process is? That's not a, that's not a contract employee. You know, that it, 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 do they work exclusively for you? There's a whole series of tests that you, you look at. Is that, is that really a W-2 employee? Is that a, is that a contract employee? And, and I can tell you right now, the, the IRS is coming down really hard on organizations that are trying to say, no, these are, these are our 1099s. These are contract employees. We don't have to deal with withholding. We don't have to deal with all these other issues. And the IRS is saying, no, you're wrong. And they come in and it's a big check you got to write. And the states are coming down even harder. Maryland, uh, I believe, California, Massachusetts are ones that are even taking it a bit further. It's almost impossible to have a 1099 in those states. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, uh, I, I'm not specific about those states, but it doesn't surprise me because you know everybody wants their pound of flesh as far as the uh, the governments go. I would imagine that with the ACA's increased implementation and the requirements that it brings that that is another area that's probably made a lot of businesses think i'll just use contractors yeah yeah it's it's very or determine somebody as a contractor you know (laughs) people people um are unaware of the fact uh business owners are unaware of the fact where those again where those lines are right as a as a uh, an organization part of the affordable care act if you have 50 employees 50 full-time employees you have to provide uh, group health insurance. You're required to provide group health insurance. So what does that mean? Okay. I've got myself, I've got, you know, a sales guy and I've got 200 part-time employees, right? Well, you add up all those hours and all of a sudden that aggregated hours accumulates to more than 50 full-time equivalents. Now you're required to provide group insurance. And that's how they do it because I, I, I remember when I first heard about that requirement, I'm like, well, people are going to try to do that. But that's what I then followed up with that piece of information was, no, it's total hours. And then they figure right. out how many FTEs you right. have off that. And you may or may not be required to provide insurance to those uh, those part-time employees based on how many hours they work, right? The threshold right now is, it is 30 hours. Um, but the requirement is there. And a lot of a lot of companies come really close to crossing it without really realizing, it. and the costs can be ridiculous. Another area I think Peter's company could really help small businesses with is in the area of affirmative action oh, in yeah. EOC. So you typically think, oh, I don't need an affirmative action plan unless I'm 50 employees or more. <laughs> but yes, I'll tell you, before we were 50 employees, we got a federal contract, and so when we were starting to talk about the 
the VP of sales says, oh, we're starting to talk about federal contracts. I said, whoa, guys, okay, that's great. Let me get on it because you've got to have an affirmative action plan. If you're a little company, you need somebody to be able to do that for you. So there, again, there are these nuances. You can be rocking and rolling, doing really well in your small business, but you could be skirting the edge of HR. And that's where somebody like you could really add a lot of value. Been talking with Peter Young of HR Value Partners, learning about the reason why it might make sense, particularly for that small to mid-sized business, to have an outsourced human resources expert uh, along for the ride to help you make sure you're meeting all these legal requirements at the state and federal level. And a lot of different subtle little areas where somebody who's just kind of handling the paperwork, as we talked about earlier, may not be bringing your business into compliance and there can be huge financial penalties for that uh, that are substantial enough to compromise your business's viability. Oh, no, no, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Yeah, and absolutely. so one of the other functions that you all do is recruiting. Right. Uh, getting those high value employees that can be difficult to 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 bring on board. Talk a little bit about that. Professional executive search is, is one of the big things that we do. We're really excited about bringing that into the Atlanta market. We've been really successful with that up in the Midwest uh, and along the Atlantic seaboard. We've placed hundreds of employees. Um, we do it a little bit differently from the traditional contingent search organizations. With the contingent search organizations, I'm, I'm sure you folks have, have, have used those at Guess, Guess South, you're looking at paying 25, sometimes up to 40% of the employee's total compensation. Uh, as a as a fee for finding that employee, uh, that's in our opinion um, a, a backwards way of doing things. Right? You're you're um, as a search organization, you are really at, at a conflict of interest with your client in that position because it's in your interest as the search as a search organization to get somebody as highly compensated as he possibly can because it's going to affect your bottom line. It's going to affect the amount of money that's coming in. Um, we find that as as you know uh, contradictory to uh, being a partner, and as you know, as our name implies, HR Value Partners, we want to be a partner with the companies that we work with. And so, what we do is something different. We're going to come in and we're going to give you a set price of what it's going to be going in before the search begins. You know what the cost is is going to be, and you could find a superstar that is you're willing to pay ten times what you ever anticipated you were going to pay for that employee. It's not going to cost the employer, uh, anything extra to find uh, who those folks are. We we work very closely with the organization. Uh, we want to know who the uh, the folks are uh, on the team that's involved in the uh, in the search. You'd be surprised how often we sit down with companies and say, "Okay, you know, who is it that you're looking for? Give us a job description. Give us the ideal candidate." And you get three or four people in there with three or four different ideas, sometimes in conflict with one another. So one of the most important things that we do is right from the outset, sit down, have that meeting, find out who you're looking for, find out who everybody's hot buttons are, create a scoping document to try to level what all that is, get that approved so everybody is on board with this is this is the the, the, the role we're trying to fill. And and then we go out and we do that. And and as I said, um, it doesn't matter who we find, uh, the superstar or just the person that you're looking for. Um, you know, the price is never going to change. The cost is never going to change what that is. So uh, we, we specialize in professional executive level searches. Um, so we're not looking at um, the hourly employees. That's really not where we can be competitive, but we are hugely competitive uh, on the executive and professional level search. Um, and, and so that's a, that's a 
a big part of, of what we do. And we're really excited about bringing that in here to the Atlanta market. That could end up being a big, significant difference in cost to bring one of those high-level people on board. Oh, absolutely. Your model versus the standard traditional way of doing things. Yeah, I absolutely. saw that in healthcare. I, I used to do some executive search in, um, in the C-suite level in healthcare. And, and in that space, it was interesting. In, in, in the C-suite space in healthcare, it was, as you talked about, 20 to 30% of an annual compensation. Though on the physician side, which I also did some recruitment for a period of time, the hospital said, nope, we'll pay this much for, for a physician if you bring him in. It, regardless of the physician, yeah, which was kind of a strange kind of thing, but I mean, I, it was empowering for them to to limit their costs because some of those physicians are seven figure generators uh, of revenue, which would obviously be huge. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, uh, Meredith was talking about having a a cost containment or a or a, a you know a, an idea of where your costs are. That's really important. You know, to have an open-ended question like that, what's it going to cost me to get this guy? <laughs> well, it you just know, depends. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's, it, it makes it prohibitive in a lot of cases. Sure. So we try to, we try to open that door so that we can work with organizations um, where they know what's going in. You know, we, we do one-off searches for companies or we do contingent searches. There are firms that we, we're, we're with that we're literally finding hundreds of employees. We're just stationed there and we're feeding them employees every month. And, uh, you know, they pay us a fee, a set fee every month, and we're just feeding the pipeline um, and, and finding the folks that they're looking for. You know, because we're an HR firm and, and we don't just do the, the, the recruiting, we understand the larger aspects of it. You know, we understand what onboarding means, you know, that you've got to get people onboarded onto your, your team so they're on the same page as you. Right. It's important for uh, for a company to have strategic goals. You know, Kevin mentioned strategic goals earlier. You got to have strategic goals and they have to be communicated to people. Right. And then you've got to be able to follow up and track with with what those goals are to make sure everybody is pulling the boat in the same direction. Otherwise, you're just spinning around in circles. And so having that that concept of how all of this comes into play, I think. Uh, helps us to be a, a better search organization overall, and we believe that that uh, bringing this this search function into Atlanta is going to open doors for us into organizations. It's a pretty low risk way for us to get to know one another. You can see how we perform, and then I believe it's going to open doors for a lot more activity uh, for us and a, a way for us to work with a lot of firms. What you said about the partnership piece of, of the recruiting, especially for a small company, you're typically outsourcing for a reason. And when you get to the very end and you want to hire that person, you're doing the salary negotiation, you want to look to that partner to say, you know, what's the fair compensation? Help me with that. And you can't because you right. know they're not aligned. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and that's that's really important. That's why I was saying that conflict of interest is is really, uh, really bad in our position, in, in our opinion. You know, and, and my, my partner, Brad, uh, Bradley Foley. That's that's the uh, you know you met two guys at the booth. You know you met you met the tall guy, yep. and then you met the uh, the shorter guy with the hat, who's <laughs> far better looking. Than that. So Brad's the tall guy, um, and uh, one of Brad's specialties was uh, that that compensation uh, creating those those strategies for compensation within firms, so that you had a realistic look at what compensation really needs to look like. You know, what that benefit strategy for that firm really needs to look like. So yes, we, we want to be the partners 
so that you can rely on us. And it's outside of the cost. It's you know in the bottom line. The the other challenges is overcompensating someone. You wake up six months a year later, and all of a sudden they're getting paid way above market rate. That's not good for anyone. Nope. It's not yeah. good for the person you hired. It's not good for the company because it's going to be a loss at some point. Yeah, yeah. Ab- absolutely. And, right. and then they once they leave at some point, right? Um, their expectations now have been raised to the point where they may not have a chance. They might not have yeah. a chance. They might realistic. not have be willing to take a, yeah. a position at if least for are. some time. Yeah. And I think that it's important for the for those business owners out there that are checking out the show today and learning about the the presence of this kind of company is the thought that I can't afford this. But I, I would imagine that what they don't necessarily realize is to engage a company like HR Value Partners, the cost that they're going to have for that experienced 20 plus years, high level human resources expert who knows the laws, who knows things about your <coughs> compensation, you know, fair compensation and all those types of things, they're going to get that probably at or below what they're paying their aunt or the, you know, administrative <laughs> oh, assistant the, the, or absolutely. their friend's brother's cousin's former roommate that's doing that for you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's going to be, it's going to be very affordable. Like I said, we, we we can do it at any level you want. Where where we're on a retainer and we're no we're no farther away than a telephone, but we're no closer than a telephone either, right? We're we're just on the other end of the line or or the email, and we can we can answer the questions, and you know that's very very inexpensive, you know, and and we ramp it up from there to having a full time person or people on on site depending upon what you need. So it, it can be for a for a small organization. It's inexpensive, but invaluable, right? Because when Aunt Martha makes that mistake and and you got to deal with the feds, now you're talking big dollars. So where do they go to get information about it? Best place is uh, our website, which is HR Value Partners with an S, hrvaluepartners.com. Uh, uh, we have an 800 number as well, or a toll-free number. It's 888-899-1902, or you can even call my cell phone, uh, and I'm, as I said, we're 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 uh, started from Wisconsin. Even though I'm a, I'm an Atlanta guy, my uh, my cell phone is two six two six seven six nine six three three. And see, we said something wrong. See, the cops are coming to get us. Yeah, I know they're <laughs> they're out to find us. <laughs> it's Fire Station Eleven, and Young Presidents Organization is described as the original social network. Absolutely. Yeah. I like that. Well, it started in 1950, and it's the world's premier network of chief executives and business leaders. And it, right now, it's got 24,000 peers and their families, um, and we give access to unique educational and network experiences uh, designed to support their business community and, and personal leadership. And if you look at where it, where it is now and where even technology before Facebook, the ability to connect with all these members around the world, not just in your chapter, and, and be able to know who they are, connect with them, and know that if you connect with them, they're going to give you a call back with anybody. That's that's one of the sort of unwritten rules um, that if you contact somebody in YPO, another member, you're going to hear back within a day as long as they're available. And, you know, that really is what a social network's all about. And it's been around since 1950. And we're talking with Alan Young, who is the incoming membership chair and uh, CEO of a company called Noble Brands. Talk about the the profile of the typical member coming into Young President's organization? I'd say there's really three. There's a profile like myself, entrepreneurs, and there's also a sister organization called Entrepreneur Organization uh, that I missed out on being too busy with my head down being an entrepreneur over the last 20 years. Uh, but that's uh, that's strictly for entrepreneurs. And uh, there's certainly those in YPO. 
but we also have the hired guns, as we like to call them, or they like to be called, and uh, <clears throat> also people who run family businesses. And so there are some other stipulations around the size of the company that they're running and things like that that people should know about as well. Sales and services manufacturing corporations have at least $12 million of gross annual sales. Yeah, so a number, there's two requirements. One is number of employees, so having at least 50 employees. Yeah. Um, so that means you've, you've jumped over the line, I guess. It, I think they came up with that before, the whole 49ers, uh, mm. 50 employee thing. <laughs> this happens to work out. I, I spent most of my life trying to avoid having more than 50 employees, but had to cross at some point. Uh, but 50 full-time employees or total comp of employees must exceed $2 million, So I got you. Uh, and then on the corporate dollar volume, it's uh, $12 million in gross sales. It's about to go up in June, um, but 12 million gross sales, but for financial institutions, uh, 240 million in assets, agency type businesses, $9 million in revenues. And that's pretty impressive when we're talking about someone that's not yet 45 to, to be leading or, or starting and building a company to this size. Yeah, and that's what's exciting about me. When I joined, I scraped in right at the level. Right, I came in. <laughs> I was going to ask before, how young Young was. <laughs> just, be, just before my forty-fifth birthday. So, and there is a waiver for new chapters in the Atlanta chapter that we just started a year and a half ago. This has have a waiver, so forty-seven is the age group for uh, for new chapters. But it, it's something that allows us all to to be a peer network of people who made it at a certain point, and uh, and that's one of the common themes of people in in the organization and. And as they age, uh, they become WPO or so right. world's president organization. So once you become 50, it's really just a designation, but you can't get into WPO. You have to join as YPO. And then graduate essentially by exactly. just getting a little older. We all get that. <laughs> that's we're, right. We're the W is it. for wiser. Is that, that it? That, that's right. <laughs> right. No, so talk, white hair. Talk white about hair. Your, your story. How did you, how, how did you learn about the young president's organization? What made you think, well, this is something I want to be a part of? Yeah, I missed out on on EO. I'd heard a little bit about it, and I'd heard about other network groups out there, but never quite had the time to uh, to get involved and didn't know what I was missing out on. And as we grew our franchise brand, so Noble Brands started out um, as Shelf Genie was our first franchise. We launched it in the fall of 2008, which is a fantastic time to launch any business. Yes. Uh, but, <laughs> but over those three years, 2009 through 11, we made the Inc. 500. So it actually turned out to be a very good thing for us. Uh, and we started insourcing a lot of things. So the first thing we insourced was our call center um, and business support center. And we started insourcing marketing, digital um, and ended up having a full suite. Uh, we have um, a CRM system that runs our entire business that we developed. Um, we have a financial company, a logistics company that supports all of Shelf Genie. We have 160 locations in the U.S. and Canada. And our second brand, Outback Gutterback, really, we looked at the support team in all these different departments and wanted to be able to take that engine and put it into other brands. So we're bringing in our second brand, Outback Gutterback, uh, launching that as a franchise. We've been working on it for about two years with licensees. And that's allowed us to then turn all these departments into companies that now service other franchise brands as well. So going along that that road and that trip, what I didn't know was what I was missing, being able to network and share learning experiences with my peers. As a CEO, especially as an entrepreneur, you don't know what that looks like because you've never seen it before. And having a place to go with confidentiality and trust and and have that, that forum experience. Uh, so one of the number one benefits of YPO when it's surveyed is the uh, the form. So it's eight eight people that meet uh, four hours every month. We go through formal training, and it's this super confidential, trusting environment where you get together with eight people. And, and in YPO, it's a mix of entrepreneurs, and we have you know CEOs of billion dollar companies, 
We have people from family businesses and being able to connect with them and share those experiences in a confidential place. There's some things you just don't want to take home to your spouse. Um, there's things that you don't want to take to your employees. You just want to be able to talk about it. And Forum provides that. We've been talking with Alan Young, membership chair and CEO of Noble Brands, membership chair of Young Presidents Organizations. And uh, talk about some of those types of events that the company or that the organization provides, because I know there's a number of different events and and you talked about some of those meetings that you have uh, around locally, but uh, there's a lot of educational opportunities for for the members to, to participate in. Absolutely, and it starts at the chapter level. So the Atlanta chapters form, there's a fantastic uh, chapter called Southern Seven, and it's called Southern Seven because they cover seven states and they have over 400 members. And the YPO Atlanta chapter has started. Um, there's many city chapters, so we can have a more um, closer relationship and, and know everybody. So we're capping our membership at 75, we're at 50 right now. Wow. Um, and we do events, educational events, experiential events together in the city. Um, so there's lots of things from a chapter level. I know the Southern Seven Group has three events, three amazing events that they have over the course of the year, and they get together. Uh, and then there's regions. So we're part of the uh, the S- Southeastern and Caribbean region. So I went to an event uh, last last fall in Bermuda, and we got oh, to meet. Uh, yeah, it was, it, and, and actually, if you remember the hurricane that was going to hit here, when it turned, it actually hit Bermuda while we were there. So we got to... Uh, <laughs> experience a hurricane if you're ever going to go through a hurricane i would recommend bermuda that's uh, <laughs> they everything's built for category five hurricane they they're they're at work the next morning so you actually got to have a hurricane party we actually did yeah, yeah. and it was great uh but you know in that event we had some amazing speakers but the the prime minister of bermuda came uh the governor of bermuda came to talk to us uh, just went to an international event uh it's called edge every year we have an international event 2,800 people. Um, we had Kofi Annan come and talk. Uh, we also had, and I could go through a huge list of speakers, but the number one I would say is Sting came out on stage one morning and surprised us and just started playing Unplugged. Wow. And brought out some local musician, mu- musician, musicians, uh, musicians and played um, a song that they just made up. They never played together. Wow. So, you, you know, and, and there's a there's a saying of it, you know, only in YPO, a lot of the experiences and really they're all built around something you couldn't get anywhere else. And and that's one of the benefits of networking. But meeting those, you know, a lot of the 2,800 people that, that were there, it was from all over the world. There's a shared experience of form and confidentiality that you just connect with people very quickly. There's that trust when you meet meet folks in the organization. Is there anything in particular that that you feel that has really helped you for being a, a business leader that's joined this organization and been active within it? I think just, and, and I'm glad Kevin's here because he is a perfect member. I'm sure you're well under 45. Uh, <laughs> I wish, but thank you. But, uh, you know, I think Kevin as a CEO will, will attest to how difficult it is to to make decisions, to deal with the things, not only on the business side. Um, YPA is very focused on families and, and the work-life balance and making sure that it's not just all about work. It's not just a bunch of people who a lot of us are wired to work a lot, but we also care a lot about our family. So learning that balance, being able to talk about Things are happening at home. Things are happening at work. How you balance all those, how you learn. And I think that's one of the things that surrounding yourself by people who constantly want to learn and see learning as a lifelong adventure, not just something that you do when you go to a seminar or to a conference. I noticed on the website that it talked about educational opportunities and growth opportunities for members and their families. Can you talk about 
what what opportunities are there for the family members themselves? Yeah, there's a huge amount. So all, almost all of the, unless it's a leadership training event, all the spouses come along. So it's, it's not like you're going as a member um, and there's there's females and males. So you bring your spouse along. It's 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 a family type event from from a spouse perspective, but there's also family events you can go to. Uh, the spouses also get access to form. So my wife's in a spouse's form. They have a working spouse's form, a non-working spouse's form. So they get to experience the same thing in a confidential environment because um, whether they're males or females are all, if you're married to a CEO or a senior executive, you have issues um, and you need to talk to them about somebody. Uh, and and it's, it's a great place for them to go and learn with you. So it's not this separate event you're going to. Yeah. R- great events to do with the kids. There's all kinds of networks. If you like fly fishing or hunting or whatever you're into, there's networks that you can get around globally and do have access to all kinds of different things. Father, son events, father, daughter events. You can go and take your kids to, um, Different, different types of events for everything you can imagine. There's also um, universities. You can go to London Business School. You can go to programs uh, that Harvard has put together just for YPOers. Wow. So awesome. be, when you look at it all, it's it's overwhelmingly um, exciting. So if I want to be a member, is it a, a process where I'm making an application and just submitting my qualifications, or is there a nomination process? How do I become a member? So I would recommend if you're in the Atlanta chapter or if you're in the Atlanta area and you're interested in the Atlanta chapter to go to uh, to the website, uh, ypoatlanta.com. And on there, there's a contact form. You can fill that out. We'll contact you. It'll probably be myself or someone who's on the membership committee just to, to have a conversation, see if it's a good fit. Uh, you'll meet with a couple board members, typically come to an event, put your application in, and then the, the international group actually looks at the qualifications to make sure that you're uh, you're meeting them. And then, uh, then you get approved if you meet all the qualifications and the chapter wants to bring in because each chapter wants to make sure they're bringing in the right, right folks. Wow. It's very cool to get to know you and learn a little bit more about the organization. We'll have to have some more folks back on to feature them as we go forward. And um, did we get every everybody's contact information? I know we got that out there. If you're coming back and you're checking out the podcast, if you've not done so already, you'll notice in the upper left-hand corner of the Midtown Business Radio Show page, there's an Apple logo there. That'll take you over to the iTunes store where the podcast lives and subscribe to us. That way, each week you will get the new episode downloaded straight to your device for the ride to work, walking the dog, whatever the case may be for you. And we hope you turn around and share this information with your social media networks because we're all about getting the word out about business solutions that are going to help you, the business community, grow and do better in in their endeavors. And uh, we want to say thank you in advance for that. To everybody here, Kevin Greiner, Meredith Hodges, and uh, Peter Yunt and Alan, I want to say thanks so much for making time to join us in the studio today. It was great to get to meet every one of you. And all the folks out there who made us a part of your day today, I want to say thanks so much. We appreciate you. We'll see you all same time, same place next week. We'll see you then.